Bruchim Aboyim B'Shem Hashem Berachnuchem Yves Hashem Welcome to our Wednesday night cheer This week we have the pleasure of reading Pashki Siso which literally translates Kisisa as you will raise up Friday, Shabbos, is Purim Cotton, Shushan Purim Cotton. The really good news is we don't make a tiny Sester Cotton, so we don't have to uh, fast tomorrow at all, not even Cotton. Um... So obviously we'll be talking about Purim Katan. Mitzvah Adar Aleph. And of course, Pash Kisitsa. Pashkisisa is famous for the story of the eagle as we know Ein Mukdam Um Ucher Bateira Teira is not written chronologically and therefore we don't Reckon that a Pasha Kisisa talking about the sin of the golden calf. Which happened immediately after Matan Technically should have been written back in Pasha's Yisrael. Ironically, although the Parsha itself discusses the sin of the golden calf, of the eagle, the Parsha begins with Kisisa as Reish B'nei Yisrael, when you will count the Jewish nation, the counting was to be done with Machatzis HaShekel. Machatzis. Hashem tells Moshe, Zeh Yitnu, as we know, the word Zeh is only used when referenced to something that's pointed with a finger. When the Almighty said Zeh Yitnu, the Almighty was showing him exactly what he was giving. Machz is a shekel. Esrim Geira HaShekel 20 Geira of the Shekel but Machzis HaShekel Trumal Hashem The Shekel valued at 20 Geira However the Shekel was not given in completion but rather Machzis HaShekel only half the Shekel In essence the first blatant question that we have, why does the Teda express that the shekel's value was 20, twenty geta? Why do we care? What was referenced would need to be given was half. 
if half was given, was needed to be given, it should say that the Jew should give ten gato. Why write? Why elaborate? For what reason do we need to elaborate and say that the actual coin was twenty and half of it was ten? In essence, though, this is a lesson in our service to God. A person has within himself ten attributes, ten strengths of the soul. Oh, by the way, we'd like to just shout out to those that have experienced the ice storms, those that are about to experience the ice storms. May God bless everyone to stay safe. Loved ones, families. Also giving a shout out to um, our dear friend Boris, whose father, Vladimir, the son of Yelena, just had surgery, recovery now. May Hashem send him a speedy recovery. So if you've been enjoying the snow, good for you. If you're here in our tri-state area, have we got some snow for you? We can send you some. Yeah, I see nothing here. The person has ten keiches and nefesh. These ten attributes, chokma, bino, das, chesed, gurut, feres, netzach, hey, you say it in Malchus, Transcended or transcend constantly from the ten spheres, the holy spheres. Those who will open the Tanya Kadisha, the holy Tanya, Sefer Tanya from the Alter Rebbe, Peri Gimel, will teach us all about this. Our case as well. A person could perhaps think it's enough that I vote, I devote, and develop, and put that everything, my entire ten cases, to serve God. And this is a kapara. This is a forgiveness for my soul. Tells us the Tera no. Tells us the Tera commandment that there should be a half of a shekel. Even after we devote and we dedicate our ten kechas hanefesh, the eser geira to the Almighty, he feels like a feels to himself as if he's a person he's not complete he's not as it says he did not accomplish anything however a person should know even after his ten keiches hanefesh A person should feel he's only half. He should know that he himself is worthless. Only after attaching himself to God Almighty, Leibish, 
Only after attaching himself to God Almighty can a person then become something. And that becomes Esrim Gero. The ten spheres of God, the ten spheres of the person, that is considered the Shekel Hasholim. And that is therefore Lechaper Nafshay. That is ultimately what will give the person Kapara. Forgiveness and redemption. The apostle continues, and the Torah tells us, "The nasanu ishkeif and nafshel Hashem." And each person should give a keif and nafshel to God. Zayitnu, as we said, the Almighty shows Moshe. Clearly with his finger. This is the Machzah Shekel. Rashi tells us. He showed him a fiery coin. Umishkola and the weight of this coin... Machsa shekel. With that of a half a shekel. The Almighty and the Almighty said to him, to Moshe, Ze Yitnu. Koze, like this you should give. We know the question. What was so hard for Moshe Rabbeinu? That the Almighty has to show him the coin. He told him half a shekel. He had to take a coin out to show it to him. For those keeping score at home, the tractate Chulin, Membezamrala, 42 side 1, in Teisvis, with the title Zeis. Tesis asks Tesis references, excuse me. Tamal Dadovar Mayuchal Odam Litin Kefenashe. What was Mesh's bewilderment? What was he perplexed about? He was shocked to think how much could a person give that his soul should be forgiven? Therefore, Therefore, the Almighty showed him this fiery coin. <laughs> the question and the answers don't work. The question Mesha had was, how does a half a shekel forgive a sin? How did the Almighty answer? He showed him the coin. I want to know how on automatic start cars today they have a they don't need a key you have a chip fancy people and you get into the car but you got to have the chip with you you got to step on the brake and you push the button and the car starts no sits a person and he knows that in the olden days his grandfather had a car and he would take the schlissel out of his pocket because it was tearing a hole in his pocket and he would put it into the ignition which was on the, on the steering wheel or better yet on the dashboard and they would turn it or crank the car and the car started Mitamol, 
all of a sudden I'm sitting in a car, and the car starts with no key, with no nothing. Says the person, how did the car start? It's a button. The button couldn't possibly make a car start. The car starts with a key. A car starts with a key. A, tra- a light in the house, you put out a button. That's, that's all. How does a button come to starting a car? So the Biseichel doesn't understand you. If you tell me, you managed to start this car. There's a button. You're not answering my question. I want to know what transpired, what's being given over, what's happening, what the connection is, how the button react, acts, acts, and what is, what's the reaction for it, what it sends, how it sends the message, what it does, the ignition, and how it... I want to know the whole story. What are you showing me, a button? Meisha wants to know, how is Machsa Shekel forgiving a soul? And the Almighty says, look, here's the coin. <laughs> What's the Megiton? But the truth is, Maisha's question was different. What was the forgiveness really? The Kef and Nafshay? Was forgiveness for the sin of the golden calf. Serving Rahman al-Islam, idol worship. We know located that idol worship, person says idol worship, they're chayiv kardis. They totally eradicated They totally wiped themselves off. They cut themselves off. I'm sorry, not chayiv kardis. They, they cut themselves off from the Abishta, from the Almighty. And how is it possible, therefore, that giving a coin can forgive for such a sin? Severing your connection to God. Therefore, the Almighty shows him the fiery coin, which weight was a half a shekel, that although on the outside it seems that the person doesn't really have a connection with God, each Jew has a sh- a pintalayid, a fire, a flame within him. And this is bound to God, in no matter what predicament the situation. Even when a God forbid a Jew is serving Avedizara, it doesn't sever him and it does not extinguish this flame. And therefore, this fiery coin is forgiveness for this. This not this connection is not only with the actual soul itself, says the Almighty to Mesha, but rather a matbeah shall a coin. Who weight which weight was only a half a shekel. The Almighty made this fire a physical weight. And since the person's soul, the person's service to God, you don't see what your mitzvah did. You don't see what your mitzvah accomplished. But it gives life to the Etzim HaNeshama. So too, a physical coin becomes a fiery coin. It becomes an inner connection with the Almighty. And therefore forgives on all sins. Let us jump a moment and look at this sin. What was Aaron thinking? Aaron Hakain, the high priest, how could he possibly have thought that it was the right thing to do? by going
and making this whole eagle. Vayikach miyodam. He took from their hands and he threw this into a fire, says the Tera. And from the fire emerged an eagle. Aaron Hakoyin was a tzaddik. How could he have done How could he have done such a horrific thing? What was he thinking? What are you thinking? He conjured up, he created an Avedisara. Let us examine the dialogue. The dialogue between Aaron and the Jews. Aaron says to them, Pirku, Nizme Azov, Eli. Really, Aaron Akayan, as we spoke many times, told the Jews to bring jewelry, to bring you gold. Now he realized, his intention of course was, when he tells the people, bring gold, where is it coming from? The wife. He intended that the men should go home to the wives, ask the wife for their jewelry, bring their jewelry, and then he'd buy himself some time. <laughs> Little did he realize what he was doing. His plan was amazing. Why was it amazing? Because he knew that if they would go to the wives, they would get a, a, a rolling pin in the head. Avalgaholds. The wives are telling them, you're giving my jewelry for what? Not happening, mister. So therefore, he figured he'd buy time until this whole fight would break down and go down to it. Moshe would be back. What did the Jews do? They were overzealous. And they said, oh boy, we're not going to get from our wives. We're not going to get from our wives. We're going to give our own. And tell them, the tells us they tore out their nose rings. They tore out their own jewelry. And although, yes, Aaron's nephew stood up in front and this one stood to protest, whatever was going on. But the fact of the matter is, Aaron got involved here. But Aaron said to go bring the gold, and he did not tell them, he did not take it from them. So Aaron, in essence, did not really express an interest in doing this. And therefore he did not purchase the gold, he did not become, he did not become the owner of the gold. Because a person cannot take ownership of something against their will. And therefore the gold remained the Jews. Hence, since the Klal, Ainadam Eisr Davar, 
Shainishale, a person can't make something prohibited, something that's not his. Therefore, Aaron's actions did not make this gold usar. He did not sanctify it or prepare it for making Avedizara. And therefore, Aaron himself was not culpable of a sin, Achman the son of Avedizara. In spite of the fact that the din is that if a person shows in any which way, form, or fashion that he's comfortable with this, therefore the person, even though they're not by them, even though they're not owners, can become culpable, can become one with this. That's only if the person has in mind to actually do something wrong. But here it was definitely not Aaron's intention. And he said to them, we're going to make Chag Hashem. They're going to serve the Abishah tomorrow. So therefore, although the people wanted to do something incorrect, it did not affect Aaron's action. And therefore... Aaron himself did not did not God forbid do this sin. How powerful. How powerful is the word are the words of Meshrabinu. The Jews sinned. The Jews bring a golden calf. Only a short time after hearing the Ten Commandments, and they serve it, they bring sacrifice, which is a translation to the actual Pasuk. For those who've read the Pasuk, it says that he burnt, he ground, he burnt the eagle and he ground the eagle. If he burnt it, what did he grind? It was melted. And we said before that the answer to that very very simply brought is he burnt as chatasem, the sin. What was the sin? The sin was not making an eagle. Making a, a golden calf was not a sin. Serving the golden calf was a sin. How did they serve the golden calf? They brought sacrifices. He took the sacrifices and burnt them. As the sin, he burnt. And the eagle itself, he pulverized. Turns the Almighty and says, your people have totally disrespected desecrated all that's holy, forget it, I'm going to destroy this nation, and we'll make a new nation out of you. And we discussed that there's no mention of Moshe's name, as Moshe says, If you'll forgive their sin, good. If not, erase my name. The Hedek Arushina, the Mitzrayal Arushin, had a son who was known as the Sadigore Rebbe. He once told the following story. There was a certain town that the Balshemtiv would come once a year. 
When the Bashamtiv came, he stayed by a certain host. This person always hosted the Bashamtiv when he showed up. One Friday, on a random Friday, the Bashamtiv arrived in the town. Wow, nobody expected him. But his host came running and of course asked him to come stay with him. But strangely, the Bashemtiv declined. I will stay in Shul. That night everybody came to Kabbalah Shabbos. After Kabbalah Shabbos, the Bashemtiv asked everyone to stay in Shul. And to start to say Tehillim. And Tehillim was said. And Tehillim was said no more. Around midnight the Moshemta said, Okay, everybody go home and make Kiddush. And after your meals, come back to Shul. And everybody came back to Shul and again throughout the night they said Tehillim. After Shachris, the Vashem said now he was willing to go to his host to eat. The host was so overjoyed. He had a long table set up and everybody was invited to come. After Kiddush, the Lachayim, a Goy, a Gentile, walks into the house. He says, Davai vodka. Yachatshu vodka. I want some vodka. Give me. Bashem told the host, Give him, give him. Don't usually give a guy something on Shabbos. But the Bashem told him. Then the Bashem turned to the guy and said, No, Gavari, speak, tell us what you know. Yeah. The guy says, yesterday, just before the evening, the squire of the town, who owns a l- very large portion of this estate here, called all the Goyim from all the surrounding villages, and he gave them weapons, and he said, we're going to wipe out the Jews. All night long they waited for him to say, okay, let's do it. Just before dawn, this beautiful wagon, a carriage, drawn by four strong horses, pulled up, and a very important looking man came out of the wagon. He spoke to the squire, and when they finished, he told the squire, the squire turned to all the villagers and said, go home. Party over. The Balshemtiv now spoke. And he said the following. This Paritz, this squire, is very wealthy. Because he's so wealthy... Although he gathers his grain every season, he's in no rush to sell it. He waits for the highest bidder. Sometimes, therefore, he has harvest from a few years piled up before he actually gets the proper bidder. Unfortunately, in his last holding out, Apparently, some of it began to rot. So the anti-Semites, his anti-Semitic friends, came to him and told him, you know why it's rotting? You know why it didn't sell? The Jews. The Jews deterred it from being sold. They're dissuading the customers. 
Well, the squire got very angry about this, needless to say. Therefore decided to take his vengeance, wreak vengeance on the Jews and destroy the town. Says the Boshemtev, when I saw this, I had no option. I brought back an old school friend of the Puritz that had died 40 years ago. Puritz didn't know he died, they weren't in contact. But they were old, good friends. When the friend came, the first question was, what's going on over here? Why do these people look so scary? And the pirates told him, he's taking revenge on the Jews, because they wanted to, they tried to destroy his, his whole stock and everything, and they didn't sell his wheat. Friend said, that can't be possible. I know Jews, I deal with Jews all the time. Now is the Sabbath. You wait left the Sabbath. You call a few Jews. They will sell every drop for you. The pirates heard that. He said, okay, if that's the case. My old friend is giving me such advice. He went outside and told them, everybody go home. That's the story the Bashem have told. But the Sardagora told the story and he finished with something else. He turned to his brother of Matrishraga of Husyatin and he said There's a question on the story. You don't ask questions on a story, but I have a question on the story. The Bashemtiv was a very holy Jew. Why did the Bashemtiv need to travel to this town to perform this miracle? The Baal Shem Tov could have done it from home. Could have performed the same miracle from his house. The Baal Shem Tov was asked this. And the Baal Shem Tov said as follows. I saw what was going to happen in this town. I conjured up this plan to bring back the friend. But I wasn't sure it would work. It was not a surefire thing. Therefore, said the Bashemtiv, if my plan works, then I'll be saved with all the Jews in the town. But if heaven forbid my plan doesn't work, and the squire lets loose these people, I want to die together with them. That's why the Vashemtiv insisted on coming to the town rather than doing it from home. He could have emailed it and instead he came and delivered it by hand. The Torah tells us that Meshe Rabbeinu, our teacher, our master, receives the Luchais and he comes down because the Almighty sends him down to see what's going on with the Jewish nation. He immediately discards, he throws the Luchais and they break at the bottom of the mountain. The Gemara, for those keeping score at home, Mesechtis Baba Basra, 14 side 2. And you'll find this as well in Menachis, 99, at the end of the first side Tells us Luchais Vishivre Luchais Munachim Baorim. 
the luchais and the broken luchais were put into the arin, into the ark that sat in the Holy of Holies, in the Holy Temple. What does that have to do with us? When we learn Teda, we need to have these two things, the Luchais and the broken Luchais. They're opposites. On one hand, the person needs to be a concept of Luchais, of tablets. Just like the Luchais had the letters engraved in them, and you couldn't separate, you couldn't take the letters off. So to a person needs to understand and to grasp with his mind, with his intellect, the words of Torah. Until so much so that his seichel and the Torah should be one mamish. And when a person believes, aside from what it says in the Tata, and he's separate entity, he's not fulfilling his obligation of learning. Only when a person understands it with his seichel, and is engraved with the study of the Teda, is the person completing his obligation of Teda, of studying. On the other hand, in that very same ark, that same body of a person, are placed also the broken Luchas. A person, in order to learn, needs to sometimes break himself slightly. Since his Chachma, since the Chachma, the intellect of God, is greater and higher than any intellect of any person, and in essence it's far for a person to grasp, or literally impossible for a person to grasp the Seichel of God, but through a person being a Shivre Luchais, self-nullification to the Chachma of the Almighty, this helps the person to elevate his Seichel to a higher level, and thereby being capable to understand the truth of Torah. And that's why we finish on Shemonesre three times a day, and we say, Nafshi my soul should be like dust. And after that we say, Open my heart with your Teda. Emuna, blind faith, is the greatest attribute of a Jew. I was in debate to tell this story or not because I'm not sure exactly how the proper wording of the ending goes, but the story is the story in, in essence. There was a chosid of the Tzemach Tzedeks. that made money with iron work. In the olden days you did iron, you did everything in iron. You made weapons, you made swords, you made pots and pans. He was petitioned by the Russian government to make 100 tons of pots. At the time, the material of 100 tons cost X, Y, and Z. Labor, etc., he set up the bill, the invoice, and they gave him the money in advance for the hundred tons. 
There are a hundred tons of pots. The pots are X amount of density. They're thick, certain amount. When you and I look at this pot, you will not tell if this is the caliber of a hundred ton or ninety ton. The naked eye cannot determine that. A scale will tell it to you, and the expert maybe. So what do you do in this business? You're giving a petition for a hundred tons, hundred thousand tons. You prepare, you take the hundred, the money for a hundred thousand. You only buy ninety thousand. You make ninety thousand tons, the same amount of pots, slightly thinner, and you make yourself a hundred thousand tons profit. This works beautifully until someone snitches. Until a collaborator is going to come along and tell the government this is what you did. Tell the IRS. No, Halv the said this poor chassid had just that. An informer went and told that this is what happened. Immediately he was arrested and a trial date was set. He was let out on bail, whatever it was, and immediately ran to the Tzemach Tzedek, the third Chabad Rebbe. Upon his arrival in Lubavitch, he came to the Tzemach Tzedek and he saw the waiting room was full, and he was informed that the Tzemach Tzedek is not seeing people now. It could mean that in an hour he will, it could mean in a day he will, it could mean in a week he will. It was unpredictable. But he had a dilemma that could not wait. In the waiting room, was sitting many people, was also a little boy, a seven-year-old boy, Shmuel, the youngest son of the Tzemach Tzedek, was running around in the room. But he did a little more than just running around. He went from one person to the next, and asked them, what's your problem? Some people, you look at the little boy, you give him a pat on the head, nah, I just want to see the devil. One guy, So I need a bracha making a wedding. How much do you need? A oh, hundred ruble. When little Shmuel came to our friend, he saw the situation was so dire. And Samachedek wasn't seeing people. He thought perhaps if he tells the little boy who looked intelligent his dilemma, maybe the little boy run to his father and say, Father, Father, you must see this guy. He's in trouble. So he sat down with little Shmuel and told him the whole story. The whole nine yards. Little Shmuel left the room, went into what looked like Samachsedek's room. And a short while later, came out, ran over to this chassid, and said, listen, you see the guy over there saying, tell him? Yeah. He needs to make a wedding. He needs a hundred ruble. Give him the hundred ruble, and you'll be okay. The chassid was so happy. He was so happy. The Rebbe sent out a message, obviously, that if I give this fellow this tzedakah, I'll be saved miraculously. And so, he didn't even hire a lawyer. He gave the hundred ruble gladly to the wedding and went off back to home. He arrives in the trial and the prosecuting attorney presents a case 
And he tries to answer, but he sees, you know what? Maybe I should have taken the lawyer. Maybe I didn't understand the Rebbe's bracha. Maybe the miracle is a little wavering over here. Well, the judge looks at the papers and looks at the people and looks at the papers and looks at the people and looks at the papers and finally the judge takes off his glasses and says, listen, the man is being accused of stealing a hundred thousand tons, whatever it is, thousand of metal from the government. How do you know it's true? 10,000 tons. He was supposed to make 100,000 tons, he only made 90,000 tons. How do we know? The prosecutor got flustered and said, they told me. Judge says, I'm very honest. I can't deal with wishy-washy cases like this. I need facts. I want every pot brought here to my court, and we're going to weigh it. And we'll see. Both the prosecutor and the chassid went crazy. The chassid went crazy because he said, oh no, if they weigh everything, they'll see it's like a true. The prosecutor went crazy because, Your Honor, you have any idea what it's going to take to bring a hundred tons of pots? He didn't care. He ordered hundreds of wagons. The wagons were loaded up and they were brought to the courts. And the procedure started. This is weeks now. Weeks till they got the wagons. Weeks till they transported it to the court. Weeks of weighing and weighing and weighing and keeping the calculations. And the di- finally the day of reckoning comes. And the judge looks at the paperwork and looks at the things and looks at it again. The prosecutor looks again at the chosen. And this is back and this is forth and forth and back. And finally, the judge says to the chosen, You lied. You lied to the government. You were petitioned to do something for 100,000 tons. After weighing and adding everything up, you have 120,000 tons. You're a true patriot. You're a patriot. We're very proud of you. Take your pots. I'll give it to the solitary government. And go gives them to hate. You're a free man. A, a miracle. Open miracle. Immediately the chassid ran straight back to the Tzemach Tzedek. This time he was allowed an audience. And as he entered the Tzemach Tzedek's office, he bursts out crying and says to the Rebbe, thank you, thank you, thank you. Tzemach Tzedek said, for what? He said, what do you mean, for what? You saved my life, you caused this miracle. He said, what miracle? And he says, you told Shmulek to tell me to give a hundred rubles to the chasana, and everything would be okay. Someone said he starts to laugh. He says, Shmulik, my son? He says, yes. Call Shmulik in here. And they bring little Shmulik into the Tzemach Tzedek. And Tzemach Tzedek says, I ever told you such a thing? He says, no. So where do you come off to do this? And Shmulek said, I'll tell you the truth. I, uh, I saw, I knew that Sadaka is going to bring a great merit to this person. So I knew if we take the concept of the Sadaka, the weight of the Sadaka, and we add it to the scales, it's going to tip the scale for him. Because this is how balancing works. The mitzvahs balance out in such a way. Our deeds balance out our actions and they keep everything in check. So I figured that the extra weight from the mitzvah 
will weigh down the pots, and even if they want to weigh the scale, he'll be fine. The Ramah says, in Shulchan Aruch Erechayim, towards the end of Shulchan Aruch, Yesh Eimrim says the Ramah, are those of the opinion, Shechayiv, Laharbeis, Bemishteh, Vesimcha, Biyudalit, Shavad Arishim. There are those of the opinion that one is obligated to add in Mishta and drink and joy on the 14th day of the first other. Says that Amav Eineg in Cain, we don't have that custom. Mikol Mokim still in all. Yarbek Tas Besuda, add a little bit. In order to be fulfilling our obligation as far as the stringent ones say. This is how he finishes off. It is good, the heart is good, constantly celebrating. According to the words of the Taz, the Taz explains on the spot... The fact that the ta- that the Ramah finishes Tev Lev Mr. Tamid His idea, his his intention is that it's not really only enough shiyarbek tzas besuda should be a little bit like it says but rather we have to add a lot in the suda of purim katan and in the simcha of purim katan it should be similar to the simcha of purim gadol we have to understand though that if the outcome of the rabmah is that we need to add in simcha like Purim God, why doesn't he write it clearly? Why does he hint it with Tev Lev Mishnah So we could perhaps say that this is what's fitting in here to the novelty of Purim Katan. That the Simcha in this day is not mixed in an extra mitzvah like other holidays. Which the simcha comes in an extra, an additional mitzvah. Even Purim Godel has a simcha of Adli Yada. So you don't know the difference between Arun Haman Baruch Mardachai. But in the end, you're busy. Kriyas Hamigilah, Mishnah, Monais. There's mitzvahs that happen on Purim Godel you have to take care of. A person does not have time to just plain simply have simcha. Vashenkin Purim Katan. The person just has nothing else to do but be pure simcha. And therefore we understand now. This is the reason that Ahmad does not write clearly that his maskana, his outcome is that one must add in simcha and purim katan, but rather in a hint. And he says, it's proper that simcha should not be tainted a person should not feel I have an obligation and that's why I'm being besimcha. But the simcha should be pure, unadulterated simcha. It should come automatic from the etzim of his neshama. And a simcha like this that should be of a level and a preparation to the completion of what it says in Tehillim. Oz pinu then the, ma- the laughter will fulfill our mouths, and we should merit to fulfill true simcha, and the ultimate simcha on this very Purim cotton, even before that, this tomorrow afternoon already by Mincha, we will not be saying Tachnun, because it's Erev Yom Kip, Erev Purim cotton. Not like you would say in Amigilas Esther, we would have to say Slichas, but rather we would go from that Simcha to the true Simcha, Amitas Vashlema, 
with Mashiach Tzidkenu, Shabbat Shalom, and Purim Kotten Sameach, Simcha Amitris.